Welcome to the Abyssinian syllabary, where we spell out Ethiopia in 33 characters. I'm Eve-Marie Stranger, your host and the compiler of these Abyssinian lives. Nota bene. While any resemblance to actual countries, past or present, and to historical figures is not purely coincidental, this is a work of fiction. For a primer on these Ethiopian characters, newcomers may start with the prologue by Manuel de Goes. To order the book or a poster of the Abyssinian syllabary, visit Ethiopia.com. That's U-T-H-I-O-P-I-A dot com. I like men, and women more so, who have been gored by the horn, and who have survived. It is this darkness, received not as wound, but as gift, that reveals the light they carry within. The Apocrypha of Zareyakob Arthur Rambo Ah! They are the worst kind. Nothing but galoots. They do not understand anything. Really, nothing at all. They rummage around for the balm of Gilead in Abyssinia, and they discover it there. Surprise, surprise. Arthur Rambo, in a letter to an associate from Harar, the Greek Constantine Fulcon, upon being informed that he is presently an acclaimed poet in France. Hagiography of Saint Rambo, doomed poetaster. Arthur Rambeau was born in Charleville-Mézières. Somebody had to, he was to be overheard saying later, a one-poet town in the French Ardennes, an outstanding student in all subjects, and a brilliant one in rhetoric, Latin, and particularly in essay composition, in which he excels. Arthur draws the attentions of his professors. He offers his poems to literary journals. A black, E white, I red, you green, O blue, vowels, I shall tell one day of your mysterious origins. He sends them to dissolute poets, who place the precocious brat on a pedestal. They lure him to the metropolis, where they dissipate him with absinthe and loose morals, before pronouncing him uncouth. He brutally rejects them in turn. Arthur Rambo vagabonds throughout Europe. He becomes a sandwich man in a circus. The padded youth, hardened somewhat by his travels, enlists with the army of the Dutch Indies only to desert in Batavia. He returns to France only to take leave once again. He kills a man in a quarry in the Trudos Mountains of Cyprus and drifts further still. He washes up in Aden, where he works in a coffee warehouse before being dispatched to Harar in Abyssinia, at the time under Egyptian administration, to man the trading post as agency factotum. Here he barters glass beads and gugus with the fuzzy wuzzies. He speaks all tongues. He orders textbooks, photography and engineering, railway construction and agronomy. He strikes out on his own and is swindled by King Menelik, who pilfers from him half of his batch of guns. He is cheated by his trading partners. Falling prey to a bad knee, 
he is then transported from Harar to Zela in a stretcher hoisted by four bearers, a true ordeal, the Calvary of St. Rambeau. He boards the steamboat for Aden and on to Marseille. His left leg is amputated. He sends off a valedictory telegram to the Messagerie Maritime, stating his expressed desire to board as rapidly as possible with, as destination, Afinar. He is said to have received, or not, the anointing of the sick, of the Catholic faith on his deathbed. He is sublime or pathetic, according to your reading of him and of his lines. Life of Arthur Rambo, the Abyssinian. In Ethiopia, Arthur Rambo discovers the receding hills that stretch unbroken towards the interior. He has no love for Zela, nor generally for the lowlands covered in thorn and peopled by tribes who emasculate their victims to contrive pretty bracelets. He feels at home in the highlands, loamy and green, such as the plateau of the Margeride, as he will tell his employer, Alfred Bardet, the mountains of Chercher, the high plateau of Shoah, and the cloud-dotted peaks of the Ankobar escarpment. Oh, to lie down once more among the asphodels of Goshmeda, with the Ethiopian greensward rolling out with interruption to the Blue Nile to the west, and to the east, two thousand meters below, towards the flats of Dankalia and their rivers sinking into the sands. The purple thyme and the cerise grapes of the Kuso flowers, the smell of mud churning in the watercourses during the season of floods, incense, the aromas of the sweat of men, of levers, suppled with cow-belly fat, the sour butter of the ointments with which women lubricate their hair, a stench that clenches Arthur's stomach the first time he breathes it in, in the plaited hair of Miriam, a Tigrian thigh-servant he has bought on a twenty-four-month concession plan, an aroma which, such once as the aroma of freshly baked bread in Charleville, soon becomes indispensable for him to find sleep. Before the end of the twenty-four months, there will be a birth, a girl. Later, she will wed an Italian, a half-caste such as herself, before the line loses itself in the historic upheavals of the horn. But Miriam will not be sent away. To the contrary, later, when Rambo sends money from Marseille for his faithful servant, Jami, he knows that the latter will understand, but that boat is yet to sail. For now, in Egyptian Harar, business has never been better. Later, his enterprising trading will be belittled. They will describe his wares as tin pots and dewgores with knowing smiles. Arthur Rambeau himself knows that money, even if it be stroked by hands smeared with rancid butter, has no odor, and he does trade a bit of everything, and turns a good profit. He buys as well, making good returns on these purchases too. He who speaks all languages is a sought-out man in the enclosed Medina. Rambo is a regular attendee at the Sufi ceremonies, the Kazira, where he masticates the hallucinogenic cat leaves all night long 
submerged in the beats of the percussions and of the Minzuma melodies taken up by all the men. He peruses the Holy Koran and extols on its surah to his neighbors. A smile dances on his lips as he writes his plaintive letters to his mother, the letters that she awaits with such trepidation. He does not languish over his past as a man of letters, not out of depreciation, but such as a man who has matured well. Is there still time for the vagrancies of adolescence when one has welcomed in due course the onset of maturity? He rhetorically asks Constantine, who tells him of the bavardage on his account. He has gone into exile on the roads of Abyssinia. In penitence, they say, he has turned the page on his past as a poet. How could it be otherwise? If one is not to be serious at seventeen, the mistake would be not to be wise at thirty-seven, don't you think? asks Arthur Rimbaud, pushing into his mouth more cat and doodling in the postscript of the epistle to his mother dated 1st of August, 1890. He is, he writes, to be pitied due to the poverty of stimulation he can find among the subdued human forms of this disconsolate country. Rambo seals the letter. These French pen-pushers, don't they know that there is a time for everything, and that what one writes and truth itself are often nothing better than awkward bedfellows, forced against their will to lie together on the same page? And Rambo the trader, the pot and pan peddler, Saint Rambo, dreamily smiles again. If he does not know that in just one year he shall be dead, and that his ticket for Affinar is already punched, Arthur Rambo gauges that it is a riot of commentary that will proliferate over the white sweep he has left behind in the horn. Maktoub. Thank you.